Welcome to Off Screen, your roundup of everything cinematic and good in the world. I'm Van Cleef. And I'm Vex Perfect, and this is your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. <laughs> I've got to have a good boost, Perfect. Yeah. So, um, before we get into our, our our two new releases this week, we obviously got to touch on other things, because we are getting to that stage when more than two are available to us every week now, so we've got to start cramming a few more. So I want to just briefly mention, uh, The Boys in the Band came out on Wednesday this week, on September the 30th. Wednesday was September the 30th, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, uh, Boys in the Band, uh, Ryan Murphy, Murphy's remake of the, I think it was 1968 off-Broadway play that then became 70 William Friedkin movie <clears throat> that then became the Broadway Ryan Murphy show that then became, has now become the Ryan Murphy produced Joe Mantello directed Netflix adaptation of the Ryan Murphy remake of the Friedkin adaptation of the original play. And, and that's a good thing because I know you're such a Ryan Murphy fan, so that's why you're saying his name so many times. Yes, exactly. Well, I just wanted to come out with the most 2020 statement you could possibly write without using the word bubble. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, basically, as soon as you invoke Netflix, it goes that way. So this is uh, apparently the first version to feature an uh, entirely openly gay cast as well. So it stars the likes of Zachary Quinto, Andrew Rannells, uh, Jim Bomer. Parsons is in there, Matt Bomer is in there. Oh, I'm trying to think who else off the top of my head there's a bunch of there's a bunch of that guy from that thing the guy from the IT crowd not IT crowd IT no not the IT crowd the American version of that what's the one about all the the geeks what's the American version of the IT crowd they did attempt to adapt it but it was terrible it lasted more than an episode or is it How I Met Your Mother it's something are you thinking of Neil Patrick Harris when you say How I Met Your Mother I'm thinking of the guy who is in when uh, the boys uh, boys in the band, but also he was in recently. He was in Hollywood. Um, that other one, what is it? Oh no, no, that's Jim Parsons from The Bang Theory. Oh, Big Bang Theory. See, that is the American yeah, idea, yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> no, no, no. First of all, do not ever, ever, with a straight face in the eye and say the say the names of the Big Bang Theory and the crowd in the same no. sentence. For have- shame. I have as much distaste for Richard Iowadi as anyone else, but <laughs> I'm sorry. If the oh, only, I do not like Oh, them. no. Oh, no. I have all the distaste for the Big Bang Theory. I'm all MIT crowd all the way. I mean, no, Other way round. Oh, here we go. Let's not lock horns in this film. We'll take this offline. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's fine, I guess. It's got nothing new, really. To, they have reworked the plot ever so slightly, but other than slightly, slightly refining some of the excessive gay stereotyping that's always plagued this title, which otherwise is, you know, one of the seminal works of queer cinema. Um, also, interestingly enough, Friedkin's uh, adaptation of one of the first movies to ever feature the C-word on screen in major American film. Um, <clears throat> sort of a badge of honour there for the future director of The Exorcist. Um, it's not really got an awful lot in the way of new things to say. The only reason I can see to have adapted it for the screen, other than they'd paid $300 million for Ryan Murphy on Netflix, um, is simply for the bragging rights of doing it with the entirely openly gay male cast, which you know, hats off, that is a great moment. It's a feather in the cap kind of a thing. Uh, but other than that, nothing really new to add. It feels very dated. Uh, Kinto's a bit of fun, though. I mean, I'm amazed that Ryan Murphy was conscious for two entire hours without having to call Sarah Paulson in to do something. But other than that... For anyone who actually does love Ryan Murphy, as I do, and his work, who, which I really do enjoy, American Horror Story, I'm really enjoying Ratched right now, I actually saw the trailer for this. I haven't seen it, but 
Blimineck, I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I love his work, so you back off. I, I like Nip Tuck. I like Nip Tuck. I'm all about Christian Troy up in here. But anyway, <laughs> let's see what else is out this week. Cats and Dogs 3, colon, Paws Unite. Um, the threequel of the series. You said you were a fan of this. Oh, my God. I had this on VHS when it first came out. I laughed so hard from the original Cats and Dogs, and it's one of those films that I never thought I'd enjoy and I did and it's it's mm. stuck with me for years so actually I was quite excited about this but I haven't caught it yet I remember just saying to you just before we jumped on air ha, like am I gonna love it and you just went wait <laughs> um 95 seconds into this 84 minute long film they introduce I think it's the furry animals rivalry termination squad uh, the characters work for, which you might know it abbreviates to fart. That's the cleverest joke in this film. It's awful. Um, gone are the all-star cast who voiced the previous two installments, replaced entirely by Schmidt from New Girl and the squeaky blonde from The Big Bang Theory. Uh, Melissa Rauch, I think her name is. Um, the villain is George Lopez, uh, which cuts me to the bone, if I'm being really honest, because he's awful as well. Um, and the entire villain's plot here, bearing in mind it's essentially played as the, end, as the villain's plot from Secret Life of Pets, one is to make cats and dogs not like each other. Oh, devilish. Anyway, um, it's awful. It's aimed entirely at children so young that they'd watch just about anything, and yet even they'll probably somehow still be bored. Uh, don't watch it. Don't indulge this. I don't want to have to sit through a fourth one. Anyway, um, on to the actual films. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's move on. Um, let's move on. one today, folks. You can tell, can't you? We've already had a little bit of a rut. <laughs> okay, so let's let's talk about two films that are actually really good. There's so the first one. Um, uh, I almost said American Beauty. Then I it's know, a very different that. film. Very, very different film. I don't think we can heat praise on American Beauty anymore in 2020, can we? I don't think we can. No, it's a shame. No, it is a passe now. Um, Eternal Beauty second directorial effort from Craig Roberts who was the uh, young star of Richard Ayoade funnily enough, Submarine a few years ago. Um, I know him from being the werewolf kid in Being Human on C3 um, He's turned director This stars Sally Hawkins and David Thewlis and Penelope Winton and Alice Lowe and best of all Billy Piper and uh, I, I'm just I'm, I'm British. Could this be more British? <laughs> I know, it really couldn't, could it? So uh, basically, it starts off, we see a young girl uh, being jilted at the altar. She has a breakdown. We flash forward. She has become, several years later, she has become Sally Hawkins. Sally Hawkins, by the point of her life, is struggling with schizophrenia. She goes off of her meds. She encounters a, 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 um, a fellow patient whilst, whilst at her doctor's appointment. They enter into a relationship, and this is but one of many events that set off uh, a, a kind of a, a new age for the, the titular character, who's Jane. And I tell you, what, I, I, it's all about this romance. It's all about her relationship relationship with her family it's all about the dynamic she shares with her sisters and i'll give you a sense of the wackiness of it we're putting you on a different dose of medication jane you don't remember me no i don't know you you're the most beautiful thing i've seen today shut up shut up do you remember my band this this will be expecting you well i'm like a rock star now Would you like to spend more time with me? Can I think about it? Oh, I like the sound of this. Is, it's brilliant. Is it just coming it's out? It's actually brilliant. Is it just coming in cinemas or can people catch it on a digital platform at this stage? Probably not. 
I, I, I know. I think it is coming out on digital as well. Um, but that's so. That's from today, the second. But I mean, really great movie. Really, really great movie. Um, terrific performance, as you would imagine, from Sally Hawkins, because you know she's awake. And uh, <laughs> it's one of those things. As long as Sally Hawkins is conscious, you get a great performance. Um, minute she comes in, instantly likable, instantly awesome. Um, it gets introduced with a gag that will just genuinely had me howling with hysteria. The movie is as heartbreaking as it is hilarious. The way it deals with mental health issues, the way it deals with certain psychological traumas and things like that, is sensitive, but not uh, at the hest of, you know, usurping the comedy of it. There is a dark humour to be found in the depth they, they, they take with it. Uh, Thulis gets about the same likability as uh, as Hawkins, which is to say, he's awake, so he's great as well. Um, Alice Lowe, um, wonderful sport from Alice. And quite an interesting, very different role for Billy Piper, I think, as well, as uh, kind of, I think their younger sister, as Alice Lowe and, and uh, Sally Hawkins' younger sister. She's she's going trash for this one, let's let's just say that. Um, I recommend it, I think it's really great, I think there's some really inventive directorial choices with it. Uh, I think when you watch it, you'll you'll rave about it, I think, though, to be honest. I was just thinking, like, it doesn't feel like a fully British movie because like, Jeff Buckley in it now. <laughs> doesn't it really... There's not a doll cue to be found. I know what you mean. It's not that British. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the wild rose when you need her? Um, no, that's not great. I'm going to check one out. It's the cast, mm. it's sold, you know. Is it one, though, I, I will ask, is it one that we feel maybe should be on the small, the big small screen? Like, does it need to be cinema? I don't think, it, I mean, to be honest, it is a film that I think most people will wind up seeing through film. It is a film, though, that is going to get some BAFTA love, I think, down or down the way. This will get BAFTA love. It's got that written all over it. I mean, watch, watch it not happen now, and I'll be proven wrong. But yeah. uh, it, it should, in a rightful world, be, have BAFTA written all over it. I think Craig Roberts has done an amazing job with this. I really I think he's an amazing talent for his age as well. Fantastic. Brilliant. Okay, so that's Eternal Beauty. That is in cinemas from today, uh, which is brilliant. Now we're very quickly to something that is out. Um, it's in cinemas, but it's also on Netflix. It's called The Trial of the Chicago 7. Um, and it stars yes. Sasha Baron Cohen, doesn't it? Yeah, it is. It stars Sasha Baron Cohen, Jeremy Strong, who you will, of course, know from Succession at the moment, because you've, yeah, you've been binging there. It's, it's got... Uh, jo- Emmy Award winning. Award winning. Right? Emmy Award winning. Well, I remember Jamie interviewed him just before I went on his show once. So that was a, a weird moment. Um, there was, uh, there's also Joseph Gordon-Levitt in this, and Frank Langella, and, and sadly, also Eddie Redmayne, and I'll get to that. Um, it is the true story of the, of the, the protest that erupted outside of the 1968 Democratic National Convention, the anti-war demonstrations that very quickly spilled into violence. And the Chicago 8, who had then become the Chicago 7, because one of them was sort of removed from, the Bobby Seale, as it were, was removed from the trial. He was subject to racial abuse by the judge in the actual trial itself. And believe me, when they play it in the film, that is a moment worth seeing. Um, They became the Chicago 7. They were put on trial for incitement incitement to violence effectively, and basically railroaded by the government entirely for their anti-war stance. Do you have contempt for your government? I'll tell you, Mr. Schultz, it's nothing compared to the contempt my government has for me. We've heard testimony from 27 witnesses under oath that say you hoped for a confrontation with the police, that your plans for the convention were designed specifically to draw the police into a confrontation. Well, if I'd known it was going to be the first wish of mine that came true, I would have aimed a lot higher. It's a yes or no question. When you came to Chicago, were you hoping for a confrontation with the police? I'm concerned you have to think about it. 
Give me a moment, would you, friend? I've never been on trial for my thoughts before. So aside from the accent, Baron Cohen's really good in this. I mean, the accent's a bit dodgy, isn't it? Mm, yeah, and also, was that Joseph Gordon-Levitt as well? Yeah, so Joseph Gordon-Levitt is, is the, the government's prosecutor who's, who's trying them throughout. Um, you've basically got sort of, I think it, there, there is a sort of jockeying of who is leading the group through the whole trial. And I think, like, for instance, we as the audience, I think, are meant to see Eddie Redmayne as that, even though he's depicted as being the most square of the group. Uh, Redmayne is the weakest link in the film, by far. I mean, for one thing, he struggles with this very theatre school American accent, which is just frankly bizarre. Um, there is also some elements of a mawkish, needlessly cloy, uh, emotionally arousing denouement at the end. But that is entirely down to Aaron Sorkin, who has written and directed this. And this is yeah. Aaron Sorkin's second feature film. And I'm I'm leader of the pack in I will trumpet, I will worship at the altar of Aaron Sorkin. I mean, I loved Molly's Game, I'm a big West Wing fan. Studio 60, I think, is one of the best TV shows of my lifetime, very underappreciated, and I love the newsroom. Um, he does, though, have a tendency, I think we can all agree, to fall back on a very needlessly cloy, rousing, let's everyone stand up, stand up, get to our feet and have a round of applause, rousing speech at the end kind of thing and he does that here and you just get to that moment you think what movie sorry were you watching a different movie before this why have you done this this is this is what used to ruin entire episodes of the west wing like why have you done this it does ruin it however the performances outside of redmayne are very very good the writing until that climax is very very sharp there's a lot of tension, there's a lot of gravitas, there's a lot of meaning, and obviously it's a very timely tale, because the idea of a very right-wing government trying to take on liberal protesters yeah. in a legal sense is not without a certain amount of topical relevance, obviously. In- interesting with the scheduling, <laughs> should we say. Mm, very, very interesting that you would put this in, in theatres. For its Oscar run, presumably, a fortnight later, on Netflix, just ahead of a US presidential election. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, do we think that this is a strong contender for awards season in itself? I think we very easily see this. This is the kind of film that gets put up for best adapted screenplay. Okay. Or something like that. It's not something that goes forward for best picture, but it is a best adapted screenplay sort of a film. I don't think you'll particularly see an Oscar with, uh, Oscar nod for acting categories or filmmaking or actual you know visual filmmaking categories like directional cinematography. But I do think on the writing front, for the most part, you, you will see that. Welcome back to Offscreen. It's your seven-day guide to everything movies, and we're going to take you through seven days of movies on TV. Kicking off with what I can only describe as a tornado of a movie. See what you did? Th- see what I did there? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, we—I we, know we talked about this uh, only a few months ago, I think. Yeah. But let's be really honest. Our freeview pickings are not exactly. Our, our selection is not exactly stocked of late. So we are kind of making the best of a bad bunch. So, um, Twister which is a great movie. Great I mean, movie. You obviously clearly are a fan. I did. I, I wanted to become a storm chaser after watching it in like the early 90s. I was like, that's my career. Oh, I could believe you. You yeah. could absolutely believe you as a storm chaser. There's just something about you that I can see in a sort of white tank top with a shirt, t- a shirt yeah, tied around your waist and, and baggy pants. 
Uh, just to be basically wanting to be Helen Hunt. It's, it is Helen Hunt, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Of course it is. It is, it is Helen Hunt and Bill Paxton. Yeah. Uh, the supporting cast includes Jamie Gertz, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Alan Ruck, and Carrie Elwes, which fills me with joy because every time Carrie Elwes is in any movie, I'm happy. Unless it's uh, Dan Stevens because then that tricks me into briefly thinking it's Carrie Elwes. Um, but this is, of course, uh, the story of, uh, you know, weather, weatherman, weatherman and his ex wife the storm chaser he's next storm chaser himself who basically go in in on the trail of you know an f5 tornado so they can set off an experimental weather scanning system yeah um all the while all he wants is just to get his divorce signed but you know it's the 90s quite, and it's a disaster movie so quite an extreme between. way to get divorced isn't it <laughs> going into the eye of the storm literally <laughs> <laughs> That was a good size twister. What was that, an F3? Solid F2. See, now you've lost me again. It's the Fujita scale. It measures the intensity of a tornado by how much it eats. Eats? Destroys. Little uh, encounter we had back there is a strong F2, F3 maybe. Bet we see some F4s today. That'd be sweet. Four is good. Four will relocate your house fairly efficiently. <laughs> is there an F5? What would that be like? finger of God. None of you have ever seen an F5? Just one of us. This film, and I remember the success of it, spawned quite an underwhelming ride at, I think, Universal Studios. <laughs> oh, was it underwhelming? I always wanted to go on it. Oh, come on, you stand there behind a barrier whilst they create a tornado in front of you. It's a bit Look, weird. That and backdraft. That's all I ever wanted. I wanted that and backdraft. Okay, those are the only two rides I ever wanted to go on. Although now apparently the Jurassic World Velocicoaster is opening. I, I got to get. Oh yeah, on. that's amazing. And I have done the Jurassic Park ride before, and that is insane. The ET ride always brilliant, <laughs> um, and the Simpsons 4D not one to be missed. Um, <laughs> but Twister, I just remember because I, I went to I went to Florida around the time that this had just come out and I was obviously quite young at the time and I was like, let's go on this Twister ride. It's going to be amazing. And it's just basically a backdrop of a, like, you know, Kansas. And then they just create a little whirlwind. It's quite fun though. Well, that's the thing. I mean, Twister is very much a product of its time. I mean, we don't we don't generally make disaster movies this way anymore now. I mean, they tend to all be Roland Emmerich ones. We tend to just leave them to him. Um, <clears throat> but this was, at the time, revolutionary for the way it utilised computer-generated imagery. Because yeah. in 1996, this was still a relatively untested thing. And it is ultimately quite a human thriller, because it is just about this, you know, divorcing couple. Yeah. Yeah, it is more about the relationship than it is about the Twisters. Although that that said, who didn't laugh their ass off as a kid when they saw that flying cow for the first time? I was time? just going to say... I mean, come on. I wanted to mention the flying cow. It is one of my favourite parts of the film. It's like... And also, like, where they've hooked themselves onto the pipes that are in the ground and, it's like, yeah. they're, like, hanging off that. It's, it's it, those, those are the moments that really make this movie. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, twisters are not something to laugh at. They're not, you know, they're very serious. Oh, no. Um, so... Uh, 
look, I I think this is a great film. It is absolutely of its time. And in fact, the 90s was such a golden age for disaster movies. You know, what do we have in the mm. mid-2000s? Like, you had Cloverfield, which ultimately ended up as a massive, like, anti-climax in itself. What? Just Storm. <laughs> yeah, Just Storm. That too. I mean, look, let's just stick to what, what they do really well. It's the 90s. Once again, great movie. It's on 5, 5, 6, yeah. 5 p.m. This is your Saturday sorted. I, I think it ages quite well, this movie movie so i think it's still it does it does actually watch and enjoy right let's move on to sunday okay so film four 9 p.m sunday nights um the answer to the question what is the best film trilogy because it's the only one that doesn't have a bad entry is of course the rebooted planet of the apes trilogy which we largely think of as being by matt reeves even though he didn't do the first one uh so war for the planet of the apes sunday night film four 9 p.m in which woody harrelson is the villain this time around he is the colonel who you know raids the uh, the ape city long after the events of dawn of the planet of the apes and kills caesar's family sending caesar the ape as played in motion capture brilliance by andy circus off on a quest revenge. Have you finally come to save your apes? I came for you. For me. really is cinematic in its look and feel and how you want to immerse yourself in this um out of the trilogy of it this is uh, the second film dawn of the planet of the apes is is by far my favorite there's something i think i think everyone agrees that two is the strongest i think but this is good you know you 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 know what you're going to get with woody harrelson in this i think it's a travesty uh, that the andy circus just doesn't get the recognition from awards for his work, he goes above and beyond true. so much more than you know a very capable, good actor has done and has picked up those awards. This is just incredible to see uh, the immersion into the role in itself as Caesar and the believability of it. It's it's insane. The, the effects are amazing. The dystopian kind of lost feel of the world looks incredible in this mm. as well. But it just slightly misses the intensity that I think we 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 enjoy from the dawn of the planet of the apes. But nevertheless, what a great film to watch, particularly on a Sunday night. It's a great movie to catch. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, that's the thing. If it's at nine o'clock, there's nothing stopping you watching, you know, Rise and Dawn beforehand as well. So make yeah. a make a Sunday afternoon of it. Yeah. I mean, let's. I mean, I'll be really honest. It's the best film trilogy, the best complete three part film trilogy that ever began with James Franco. Let's put it that way. <laughs> So, 9pm for film 4 on Sunday night. And yes, I am considering Spider-Man when I say that because Spider-Man 3 sucks. Anyway, uh, Monday night, 9pm, Sony Movies. The film that is single-handedly responsible for me psychologically breaking my dear friend John Coulson in the cinema once. It is Joe Wright's Hannah 
starring Eric Bana, Kate, uh, Kate Blanchett, and uh, Saoirse Ronan. I, I wisecracked through this movie, and I, I broke him, if you want the, the short version. I, I can't repeat what I said to him on air for broadcast reasons. Um, <laughs> but this is uh, the story of a young girl who has been raised as the world's most ruthless killer by Eric Bana. And uh, this whole thing is actually loosely modelled on the X-23 story from Marvel Comics. Uh, that would wind up becoming a part of uh, Logan. Right. You know the whole young yeah. girl killer thing from Logan. It's kind of that, but done sort of seriously, directed by, you know, the guy who gave us Atonement, and with a soundtrack entirely by the Chemical Brothers. And it's all about, you know, the, the basically father and daughter get split up, they must reunite, he has ruthlessly trained her to be the world's most lethal killing machine, and I'll give you a sample of exactly the level of conditioning she's operating under. Tell me again. Where's Vika? Then? Postcard. Then? What? The address where we meet. Willem Grimm's house, Stefanstrasse, 261-0559, Berlin, Germany. Yeah, what else? Adapt or die. Vika on your feet. Even when I'm sleeping. Papa. Remember what I taught you, you'll be fine. I'll see you there. Uh, one real big positive and two meh negatives, should we say, for this film, okay? okay. The positive is Saoirse Ronan, as ever, is brilliant. Um, and when is she not? Yeah, when is she not? So she's woken up, like, like Sally Hawkins, she wakes up and she's brilliant. Um, and you can hear that from this clip. The downside is number two, number two, my point number two, is that Eric Banner is not chopper in this. I'm disappointed to, <laughs> to not see him. <laughs> and it really annoys me. And number three is um, I found this whole movie to be like a glorified music video. It just... I think... It, it's like it's very aware that it is, though. I think it seems to be part of its remit to be that. To be honest, you know what? You know, like I think Amazon Prime bought out a Hannah series starring Samantha Morton's daughter as Hannah. Oh, is that who it is? Yeah, that's who it is. And oh, I didn't know that. I found as a whole that series to be stronger than this movie. I've not had the pleasure yet. I look forward to it. But I did really like the movie. I think it's just because, for one thing, it's Joe Wright very firmly stepping out of his wheelhouse. You know, at this point in his career, he's known for atonement and pride and prejudice. And him doing this sort of, you know, <clears throat> modern-day contemporary action thriller is well, really something. I, I, don't, I, I don't think that can be... Uh, that can be undervalued, to be honest. I think he does a very good job. And I also quite like Kate Blanchett as the villain. Do you know what, though? I, I was gonna, I'm slightly going to disagree with you on that because I actually I like Joe, Joe Wright for what Joe Wright does really well. And him stepping out of his comfort zone, for me, is very obvious that he's doing that. Yeah. And for that reason, it felt unnerved slightly. So Because I think there is an expectation, particularly around that point, with the strength of Pride and Prejudice and with the strength of Atonement, that you'll be excited that he's becoming one of those directors that you mm. really want to see what he brings up next and it, it fell a little flat for me but you know what there, it, it is quite a divisive film some people love it some people not so much it's a good job that we aren't sitting on the same side of the fence for this one because it gives people a little bit more of a rounded view but make your mind up it's on sony movies nine o'clock on monday night it's a good watch to watch on a monday i think it's timed perfectly and you know in that respect if you're a big Saoirse ronan fan and also a big eric banner fan then you know go and catch it i got stuck in a lift with him once Thank you. 
Welcome back to Off Screen and welcome back to your movies on Freeview for the week. So, one that we have discussed before, one that I love quite dearly, and I think one of the best reboots, certainly of this century, because, you know, what has this century in cinema been, if not a string of reboots? So, uh, it's of course J.J. Abrams' 2009 Star Trek, in which we effectively got a revised origin story for, you know, the iconic crew of the USS Enterprise, now played by a new, young, sexy cast that includes you know, Chris Pine as James T. Kirk, Zach Kinto as not a Ryan Murphy character, Carl Urban as Bones, and uh, John Cho as Sulu, Zoe Saldana as Uhuru, Anton Yelchin as Chekhov, and annoyingly Simon Pegg as Scotty. Uh, but, you know, it can't all be a win. I just can't stand Lennon and Pegasus Scotty. The rest of this is amazing. I just hate Scotty. And of course, that's it. Have a guess who the villain is in this as well. Oh, uh, it's not Khan, is it? It's it, That's the second one, isn't it? Second one's Khan. This one, Anna. So, yeah, oh, nice Anna as the Romulan <laughs> Nero. And this is... Chopper, exactly. So this is, of course, uh, basically a rejig in the timeline, meddles with the event and love. So what you get is Star Trek version 2.0, in which they go up against a psychotic Roman played by Barna, who wants nothing more than to exact his vengeance upon a certain iconic Vulcan. Enlist in Starfleet. Enlist? You guys must be way down on your recruiting quota for the month. Well, if you're half the man your father was, Jim, Starfleet could use you. You can be an officer in four years. You can have your own ship in eight. You understand what the Federation is, don't you? It's important. It's a peacekeeping and humanitarian armada. We done? I'm done. Riverside Shipyard. Shuttle for new recruits leaves tomorrow, 0800. Your father was captain of a starship for 12 minutes. He saved 800 lives, including your mother's and yours. I dare you to do better. I really love these reboots. I think it works. I do. I think, I think, I mean, I think the third is a bit weak, but I think the first two in particular, I think are really strong and really good. The third is just a big homage to Anton Yelchin, though, let's be fair. Like, there is that, but also, you know, if you're actually a diehard Star Trek fan, the really annoying thing about the third one is that the third one is the only time that they ever acknowledge the events of Enterprise anywhere else in the franchise, and we'd all rather forget that ever happened. Okay, fair. Do you know what, though? Like In terms of like a reboot, particularly when you've got such a strong fan, fan base for Star Trek, mm. it's territory, and, you know... It, it is. J.J. Abrams... Like, there's a lot of pressure on him because of expectations just in general. Like, he was like, everyone's like, it's fine. he's got it, he's got it. If he'd have messed this up, oh my goodness, what could have happened? But lucky for him. We wouldn't have had, we wouldn't have had the Star Wars franchise like we do, that's for sure. Yeah, well, we wouldn't. And, and what, I think you're right. You've mentioned that amazing cast in this. I think it doesn't take itself too seriously. It does the right balance to bring in a new audience as well as maintain the original fans. And it takes us on a brand new adventure with it all. So, you know, I remember being really excited about seeing the second one in this franchise when it came out. And I am yeah. not a Star Trek fan, um, but I was really excited to see what, what it would bring. So that's what it does to people who are new to this whole new, uh, to, to this whole sort of franchise in itself. 
One thing, I mean, I had a conversation with Count Prickett recently in which we were talking, because someone's done a video, I don't know if you've seen this video, they've deep-faked the trailers to include Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, and DeForest <laughs> Kelly. And it looks absolutely amazing. And I think Calvin's observation was it just shows you how absolutely well-cast the Abrams movies are. And they are tremendously well-cast, with the exception of Simon Pegg, who really, really should not be in these movies. I, um, I, I, I do agree with that, because I find... I love Simon Pegg in in what he does over here, over this side of the pond. He's play it's the same as in Mission Impossible. He's he's like this random addition to the cast. It's like a bit of a comedy break, but it doesn't quite work. He's the only one in the Star Trek cast that you look at and because the rest you look at Captain Kirk, that's Spock, that's Chekhov. Then you look at him and you go, that's Simon Pegg. And that's a problem, because even Carl Urban, Carl Urban has been Judge Dredd at this point, and we still didn't look at him and go. That's Dredd. Dredd. We went. Uh, that's, that's Bones. That, that's Doctor McCoy. You know, we didn't even think that's Carl Urban. I mean, yeah. even after you've watched all the all of the boys, you'd still go, "That's Doctor McCoy." Whereas you look at that, look at Simon Pegg, and you go, that's Simon Pegg. Um, first of all, it sounded like the dumbest idea ever to reboot Star Trek Young Sexy Cast. It sounded awful, and I was very vocal in this could go so wrong so easily. The first teaser did not inspire me because they didn't really show any of the sort of fun of it saw the movie for the very first time blown away um and no tuesday night 9 p.m film four absolutely check that out yourself um i do think though if we hadn't had this you know no wars no guardians i mean like modern star wars no force awakens era star wars no guardians of the galaxy they wouldn't have quite been the same um i I think really it it revived star trek for this century it was what the franchise really needed a lot of people say discovery was that but discovery wouldn't exist without this that's that's for sure yeah i agree right let's move on to um we've got a bit of a double bill for you in a way from wednesday and thursday um a bit of a martin mcdonough double bill for you so we've got on wednesday we've got image uh, which is on film four at eleven pm, and then on Thursday, also on film four at eleven fifteen pm, we've got Seven Psychopaths. So, so let's yeah. yeah, so let's let's cue those up in order. So first of all, In Bruges, which is the first Mark Madonna film I saw, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. Uh, this was uh, Brendan Gleeson, Colin Farrell, and Ray Fiennes. This is two hitmen go to Bruges to hide out for reasons and get into the nitty gritty, effectively, of the nightlife scene whilst they're there, including a wonderful subplot involving a little person who's filming a movie who, for some reason, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson keep running into during his, let's just say, very hedonistic outbursts. How's the movie going? It's a jumped up Euro trash piece of rip-off Hmm, like in a bad way. Your girlfriend's very pretty. She ain't my girlfriend. She's a prostitute I just picked up. Oh. I'm not aware of any prostitutes in Bruges. Just had to look in the right places. Brothels are good. I love that line. Um, so this is a very funny, very dark movie, and it does go to some places. It also has literally the best use of the C word ever put in a movie, and leave it to Brandon Gleeson to deliver that. It's just a one. There's a wonderful comedic turn from Ray Fiennes. I don't think of Ray Fiennes as a funny guy, and then I remember this movie exists, and I think, oh yeah, that guy's hilarious. I forget. But, but yeah, also the Grand Budapest Hotel. He is so funny in that. 
but that came after this. That's the thing. This is the Grand Budapest came came much came like three or four years after this. Like, when this came out, he was immediately associated with. It. He'd done some like Shakespeare movies and things like that, but other than that, and the English Patient, and the English Patient, exactly. Well, I mean, that is kind of a hilarious movie in its own right, isn't it? Um, okay, so then on to his follow-up. Hold the phone. Why are you caught? That is not hilarious. I love the English Patient. It was very well deserved in terms of its Oscars. <laughs> Right. My friend Anthony Pino and I have a long, long-standing grudge against the English patient. There is an entire episode of Seinfeld dedicated to the fact that the English patient is the most overrated movie ever. But I'm not even going to get into that. No. So um, his his follow-up to uh, which is very funny because I, I always think of uh, think of you whenever I'm watching Elaine in Seinfeld for some reason. I don't know what it is, but. Uh, Okay. Because she's so very 1990. Maybe that's what it yeah, is. Yeah, maybe that is what it is. Right, move on. <laughs> maybe that's what it is. Move on to his Mark McDonough's follow-up to In Bruges, which was uh, Psychopaths, a movie I didn't love quite as much when I first saw it. I think the second time I saw it, I, I thought, no, I misjudged this. This is absolutely brilliant. Uh, this stars, again, Colin Farrell. This time he's joined by Sam Rockwell and the absolutely scene-stealing Christopher Walken. And they are basically down and out in LA who decide to kidnap a dog as part of an extortion racket. It kicks off a plot that involves, cleverly enough, seven different psychopaths and leads to one of my favourite showdowns in any movie ever in which we discover exactly what would happen if you pointed a gun at Christopher Walken. Put your hands up. No. What? I said no. Why not? I don't want to. But I've got a gun. I don't care. Doesn't make any sense. Too bad. Well, where are your friends? I don't know. Yes, you do know. No, I don't know. You do know! Shoot me then. I think he's brilliant in this. I think he's absolutely terrific. That voice. That voice. Oh, it's so great. Um, I did did confess to you before we came on air for this segment that I am not Mm. a fan of In Bruges or Seven Psychopaths, but but Mm. I love three billboards. I think that's Tuesday. I think that's on on Tuesday, actually. But I think we'd covered it like two weeks. (laughs) Good conscience, do it again. Otherwise, we would have had a good old triple at the week of Martin McDonough. I know, I know. I know he's a strong writer. He's brilliant in theatre as well Mm. as he is... um, here on, uh, on movies as well, but for me, his masterpiece really was uh, uh, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Oh, absolutely, yeah. If you catch that next Tuesday, then definitely watch that one as well. Um, should we move on to what I'm most oh. excited about this week? Yeah, finish the week for us, Miss Perfect. <laughs> okay, so probably one of the best sequels um, alongside Adam's Family Values, which we talked about last week, is... <laughs> <laughs> Is, uh, Gremlins 2, the new batch uh, on 5 Star, 10.50pm on Friday. Oh my goodness. Boy, do I want one of those phones that they had in the offices, you know, the video phones and stuff like that. Oh, I know, right? I want. I just want to work in this building. That's this all building I want. Nuts, yeah. So, obviously, so for some people, when you're growing up watching something like The Gremlins, I think the first movie is actually really scary. And mm. it's the big horror element to that, that that really surprises you. Then this movie comes out, and you're probably expecting much the same, and this goes down so much more of a comedy route that it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, including the addition of several new, very weird gremlins, such as the one that my voice is often accused of sounding like, which is, of course, Rain Gremlin. 
Fred, what we want is, I think, what everyone wants and what you and your viewers have, civilization. Yes, but uh, what sort of civilization are you speaking of, Richard? The niceties, Fred, the flying points. Diplomacy, compassion, standards, manners, tradition. That's what we're reaching toward. Oh, we may stumble along the way, but civilization, yes. The Geneva Convention, chamber music, Susan Sontag. Everything your society has worked so hard to accomplish over the centuries, that's what we aspire to. We want to be civilized. I mean, you take a look at this fellow here. Now, was that civilized? No, clearly not. Fun, but in no sense civilized. I just want to tell the listeners at home that they can't see Bex as that clip was playing, and she was laughing her ass off. It was great to watch. Yeah, it's almost like tears. It's just, do you know what? It is one of those films that I grew up watching. Like when this came out, I was like, I remember being really young and psyching myself up going, okay, mm-hmm. I can watch this now. I can watch Gremlins 2 because Gremlins, I got over the fact that I was so scared from it. And then it just took me down this completely different route. And I, I loved it. Like Phoebe Cates is in this. And, um, oh, Phoebe Cates. <laughs> and she's brilliant in this. But they like, you know, they, her and I can't remember the name of the, the guy in this, but. Zach um, Gallagher. Zach Gallingham. So they've grown up together. They're now like either engaged or they're married. They're sort of starting their adult lives. And it's, it's you know, we will have gone through this, our first job, trying to make our marks in mm. the office, all that kind of stuff. And then they have the nightmare that is all of these gremlins. And the moment you see the pinnacle of this movie is where the brain gremlin basically starts singing New York, New York. And Oh, yeah, of course, isn't it? Yeah. yeah like my favorite bit of this film and it's just chaos but it's great hang on a minute i think you're missing out the iconic moment of gremlins 2 the new batch and i think everybody alive knows it's when the turns up breaks the fourth wall and rips his vest come on <laughs> yes <laughs> hulkamania was just at its peak in gremlins oh. 2 <laughs> That's- i'm gonna have to rewatch it now i'm gonna have to see it again i love gremlins 2 yeah, I, I was just, just thinking five star, five um, five star Friday, ten thirty p.m. This movie is the way you need to start your next weekend. Welcome back to Offscreen. We have got now your selection of DVDs, Blu-rays and streaming. So this is the last block of our podcast for this week. But boy, is it going to start with a bang because, of course, it's October time. It's the time in which we can get into those Halloween vibes and feels. And what better way to start, as I do every single October, with the film (laughs) Pocus. Now, you can watch this in beautiful 4K because this is what's coming out available on DVD and Blu-ray on Monday. This movie... uh, we. We picked some corkers this week because I've got three of my favourite movies like of my my youth, I think, in this. So we've got Twister, we've got um, Gremlins 2, The New Batch, and now we've got Hocus Pocus. This, for me, is is just so brilliant from, from a kid's movie that just transcends through to adulthood massively. It's the story of the three Sanderson sisters who were hanged about 300 years ago. They get brought back to life by a bunch of kids um, in Salem. And their only way to make sure that they stay alive is to suck the life out of kids, unsuspecting kids, on Halloween night before the night passes. And it's a crazy 24 hours with witches back in town. Bubble, bubble. I'm in trouble. Tell me, friend, what is this contraption? I call it a bus. A bus? (laughs) And its purpose? To convey gorgeous creatures such as yourselves to your most forbidden desires. <laughs> well, Nancy, 
Famous, famous for the sequence, I think, in which Bette Midler performs I Put a Spell on You, doesn't she, at the uh, terrible yeah. thing? Do you know something interesting about this? Who's the, the zombie guy that sort of follows them around for most of the movies? Oh. Sort of a zombie yeah, uh, guy. But he, incidentally, is Doug Jones. That's, you know, the shape of water. That's Rue from Star Trek Discovery. That's Abe Sapien from Hellboy. That is, you know, Doug Jones. It's insane. I watched the movie for the first time a few years ago and discovered this. Like, what? I was watching Doug Jones in movies in the early 90s? That's insane. I, I did see some behind-the-scenes um, photos, didn't they, of it, and like just him in the, in the grave, just kind of getting up and then just sat with the rectors and, and uh, production staff around him. I love it. I love stuff like that. Look, Hocus Pocus is is the movie that you can introduce your kids to. You can enjoy with them, and you can go, you can build with them. Like what I loved about this was I was when I was growing up, I was a huge fan of um, the TV show Erie, Indiana, and Omri Katz. Oh yes, yeah, Omri Katz was the star of that, and then. That's probably what got me to want to watch Hocus Pocus. But then you're opened up into this incredible world of Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, Kathy Najimy, and then the cast, the kids' cast, which is one of the strongest kids' cast that you will have seen throughout the 90s as well, which is obviously Omri Katz, but also Thora Birch, and then Alison Ward as well, which I know that Van is a huge fan for only the reasons of her acting talents and nothing else. Well, yeah, everything from about American Beauty onwards, naturally. But uh, it, it, it's a shame her dad ruined her career, let's just say. That. But, and the less said about Dungeons and Dragons, the better. Yeah. But, right. uh, yeah. <laughs> but this is, I'm bad. I know you're going to be a huge fan of this as well. This is, this is a film that. I think it's a, a really great family film, uh, Hocus Pocus, because it is one of those those great ones where it works for adults and kids at the same time. There are gags that do only work for adults, but they're, they're quite subtle. We're not talking about what I refer to as the ridiculous Shrek level of pandering to adult humour, which is, <laughs> let's, let's put a penis joke in there for the parents. It's not quite that stupid, yeah. but there are, there's actually quite, you know, some actual thought put into it. Um, I, I think there's a lot of fun you know, driven out of the sort of the culture clash, for instance, of the 16th century witches and you know 1993 yeah. Salem. You know, stuff like you know, like you're here with the bus and like he gets a Zippo lighter out in front of them and he's worshipped as a god and things like that. I love these moments. Yeah. And uh, also, it's it's the one rebuttal you can give me, the one response you can throw back at me if I ever tell you that Sarah Jessica Parker is terrible in everything. Yeah, she's great in this. She is great in this. Yeah, she's good fun in this. Yeah, and also, guys, huge movement on social media to, to, to revisit Hocus Pocus for the cast to do it all over again. So, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's going to be a huge disappointment if we bring back Hocus Pocus, Pocus, but if they did it well, God, I'd love it. I would go. I would genuinely go for a sequel if and only if the sequel just witches get resurrected in a different scenario. Yeah. It's like they come back again and it's different plot otherwise. Yeah. Like yeah. Just don't remake it. Don't remake it. Don't just do just have a do over. Do something different with it. Don't do one with the craft. Put it that way. Yeah. And do you know what I was going to say? I can imagine where they're going to go with the Hocus Pocus remake, which is, you're right, it would be the three w- w- witches, but then like Omri Katz and Alison Ward will have been married. It will be their kids going on the caper yeah. with, the, 
something like that works, doesn't it? Yeah, like maybe there's a tie to them now or something. But yeah. Yeah. Anyway, guys, look, that is on DVD Blu-ray as of Monday. This is October now. This is your month to watch movies like this. So enjoy it. So let's move quickly across to streaming. And one of our national treasures blew up the internet this week. Um, I think he broke records becoming the fastest person to get to a million followers on Instagram. It's not bad for a 94-year-old. It is, of course, David Attenborough. And he's bringing us life, a life on our planet on Netflix on, sun, uh, on Sunday. Uh, and that is going to be streaming for you. Um, I don't know if you caught his one about like basically the the worrying scenarios that the world is going to be in. I think it was a couple of Sundays ago that it was on the BBC that David Attenborough brought, but this is I didn't a, catch it. No, it was very very telling, should we say? I'm not going to eat as much chicken or beef um, as I have been doing. It's um, definitely making me think. Well, that's the thing. I hear very good things about this documentary. I know it had a night event cinema screening, I think, was a, available on Netflix from this coming Sunday. Uh, it is effectively his biographical documentary. In one sense, it's him talking about the changes to the planet he's seen within his lifetime. So it's effectively his sort of video journal, as it were. But it's Attenborough. So you know that there is a certain quality guarantee that comes with Attenborough as a presence anyway. And, I mean, let's be honest, it could be the biggest piece, biggest piece of rubbish going. It's Attenborough. It'll be huge. <laughs> you know what I mean? It will be watched by everyone in the nation simply because it's Attenborough. But like I say, you get a certain quality guarantee with Attenborough, so that's just as well. Uh, over on Netflix, uh, not Netflix, on Amazon Prime from Tuesday, October the 6th, this is the first of two occasions we're going to get this on. This is uh, Amazon's Tales from the Blumhouse, which are effectively Black Mirror-style anthologies, but they're feature-length films, and they are Blumhouse-shepherded horror works. So they'll be getting the first two on Tuesday, October the 6th, Black Box and The Lie. I know The Lie stars Joey King, so that's uh, that's got certain pedigree to that. What was the... Uh, there was a, a genie movie that she started a couple... Was it Wish Upon or something like that? She started a couple of years ago. It was really good oh. and really underlooked. I don't think it even got press shown. Um... Worth, this will be worth watching, I think. I'll be, I'll be tuning in on Tuesday. And uh, last but certainly by no means least, what is Netflix but a breeding ground for the next Adam Sandler vehicle? Oh, no. And it is, of course... Yeah, exactly. That eye roll that you just put in, Bex, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, you could yeah. hear that eye roll. <laughs> yes. This one, though, features the much-touted, I'm sure, much-lauded-by-the-fan-base reunion of... Adam Sandler and his former happy Gilmore loving Julie Bowen, a.k.a. Claire from Modern Family. It is Who Be Halloween, which is effectively the plot of Ernest's Halloween with Adam Sandler. So it's literally that. It's literally the same movie. They've just done Ernest... Oh, it's Ernest Scared Senseless, isn't it? Ernest Scared Stupid, that was it. That was the Halloween one. Ernest Scared Stupid, but with Adam Sandler. As a trained volunteer, I know what it's like when your spooky fun gets out of hand. Oh, but you did. No, no, no. The supermarket's selling expired bacon. Janet at the library has not been herself lately. I heard a voice in the sewer. I'm sorry, I didn't recognize him. It's pretty impressive how long he's been a loser. Oh, messing with Shoopy Dubois. Murder! Ah! A Salem tradition. <laughs> we gotta expect a scare here or there. There's something off in this town. Mr. Lambert? Mr. Lambert? Is that you? Oh no. 
guys, just based on that trailer alone. <laughs> just don't waste yeah. your <laughs> Based on that trailer alone. Burn it down! <laughs> I heard Adam Sandler say, I was like, turn it off. And that is probably one of the longest trailers he's ever played. I do the way he's doing the water way voice. I do the way. I wish we put in order the, the other way around so we could end on a high. But that is... Um, no. <laughs> I'm not saying he wasn't high when he made it. That's entirely possible, but... Look, we haven't seen it. We can't judge. But it is out on Netflix on Wednesday. It, and I'm, we will judge. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm judging now. I'm judged. It's judged. Right, let's end Judge it. everyone who watches it. I'm in a bad mood now. Um, this is not the Halloween. Let's let's bring something better back next week. Um, that's it for this week off screen. Um, it's been a wild ride. Great movies out this week. Two of which are coming out on theatrical, but also one you can catch on Netflix, which is, of course, The Trial of Chicago 7. Sounds like a really great cast in there. Great British humour and uh, comedy with eternal beauty as well. Plus, you've got those classic movies coming out this week from Twister through to um, War for the Planet of the Apes. We've even got Gremlins too, and of course, Hocus Pocus. So that is it from me. I have been Bex Perfect. This has been Offscreen, and you have been... Thank God. We shall return. <laughs> <laughs>